Hey, Mac, when does deer season start? Well, if you want the best deer herd possible, Lanny, you need to start right now. Right now. That's, That's why right. we're starting our promotion. I mean, we've got a deer season starts now promotion on plantbiologic.com where you can pick up our game changer soybeans, our forage soybeans, and our spring protein peas. While you're there, you might as well go ahead and pick up some brassicas like our final forage and winter bowls. Yeah, stock up for the cool season planting right now. Listeners to the GK Podcast, if you use coupon code GKPOD, you can save an additional 10% off our entire selection of warm season, cool season, and clover food plot seed. Get started today and visit plantbiologic.com for an unforgettable fall. I am Jeff Foxworthy, and welcome to Gamekeeper Podcast. If you want to learn more about farming for wildlife and habitat management, then, buddy, you are in the right place. Join the Gamekeeper crew direct from Mossy Oak Land Enhancement Studio as they discuss the latest wildlife and habitat management practices, news, and, of course, hunting. There's no telling what you'll learn, but I'm going to tell you, I bet it's interesting. Enjoy. We're live in three two, one. All right, everybody. Well, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to West Point, Mississippi and the Gamekeeper Studio. And West Point is home of Mossy Oak brand camo and biologic and lots of things that are dear to our Yeah, all kind of Mossy All my favorite stuff. Yeah, that's right. Hobbies <laughs> yeah. gone wild. <laughs> yeah, so I tell you what, we're going to, this, uh, what we're going to talk about today, we've got Mr. Keith Baggett from Helena. And we're going to talk about herbicides. Yeah, probably one of the most often asked questions I think we get, you know, through website, through everything else is about not only what herbicides to, to spray, but what, you know, the proper way to apply them. You know, it's a big people, deal. Yeah, people are a little intimidated by some yeah, of this stuff. And yeah. so I think we can explain that. He, he Keith's a great guy. He's from Louisiana. And it, it, not that that makes him a great guy. But <laughs> I love Louisiana. What's LSU? Yeah. That's our yeah. sister state over so there. So we'll bring him in here in just a few minutes. But first off, just want to find out what's going on in your world, Lanny. In my world? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, we're just uh, steady at it here at work, working on uh, native new products for native nurseries. we got some cool stuff working on from Biologic. Kind of thinking about, really thinking about, uh, you know, Believe it or not, thinking about a little bit about doves and ducks coming up. So, well, if you're thinking about ducks, it's t- you better. It's time to start thinking about, or at least getting your seed, your yeah. guide's choice to plant for yeah. ducks. Yeah, we know it's always a mad rest around here. When yeah. we, it's usually we usually run out. So. Yeah, we sell out. So if you, if the guys, if you need some, now's the time to go ahead and get it. Yeah. So really thinking about saltwater. Uh, we actually ran offshore uh, last week, uh, Hunter and I, Hunter Holly, uh, and made a run out of Dolphin Island. So. Went out trying to catch some yellowfin, uh, ran out that night, caught some bait, was really pumped up, uh, got out there and was jigging and caught some blackfin, so that was good. Waiting for the morning bite to turn on, and when the sun came up, man, it was like somebody turned the light switch off. All the fish left, the current left, and everything else. But one of the highlights of the trip, we still had a really good time, was that we actually uh, – is Mac, are you texting again? Is he on that tick and talk over? He on that tick and talk. What me today? <laughs> that was that was me. I'm guilty. <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, on our way back in, uh, had a rare spotting of a sperm whale. Is actually. that what yeah. so you confirmed? That was a sperm. That, whale. I think yeah. Of all you know, uh, I think we thought it might have been a pilot, but after looking at the images and reviewing the video, because we actually got video of him uh, breaching the surface and doing the old tail flapping going down, so that was super cool. So that back, is amazing. Back, back up, you mentioned. Did you say black tip or black fin? Black fin. What is a black fin? Uh, it's a smaller tuna species. Yeah, are they good to eat? I love them. What are different about them than a yellow fin? 
Uh, yellowfin's just a bigger fish. It's a more, I think it's a more desirable, uh, I guess, I, I, you know, from a from a consumption standpoint. So what, how many different types of tuna are there in the Gulf of Mexico? I don't know. There's a what lot. What Dudley? So bl- bluefin. Blackfin, bluefin, yellowfin, big eye, uh, a bonita's a tuna. Mm-hmm. So, tuna could a, so could a guy catch a tuna and it, and it be something he's not supposed to catch and he has to put it right back? Uh, the bluefin blue are fin. restricted in, in different ways. Which one is it? one that fights so hard? It's the bluefin. Yeah. Well, well they're, I mean, they're, they're bigger. They're bigger. I, I've always yeah. heard yellowfin fight harder pound, pound for pound. pound. They mm-hmm. do. Uh, but, so, so I have a friend that went up on the East Coast tuna fishing and they chained him into a chair oh it's serious now and threw chummed up some bait and the fish were coming to the top and eating them and threw, and he said it was just incredible now that would be bluefin wouldn't it dudley yeah yeah, yeah. literally chained him to a chair oh yeah no it's serious they're big fish yeah, yeah the couple times i've caught yellowfin uh we had a fish that I think he weighed 120 pounds and mm-hmm. we had to take turns it was like five of us and we no you know, it was like Took took five of them out. Yeah, took five of us to warm out. We were right. using a it little bit like lighter. We were using lighter tackle, but it was a lot of fun. I wouldn't let somebody else fight my fish, man, Dudley. Try and reel in a fish on a thirty weight reel and see what happens mm. by yourself. Oh. Yeah, they they they're real, but the bluefin is the one that's so regulated. And I think the East Coast, you know, they they they're real. Um, I guess have a lot of regulations on the fishery in the Gulf specifically. Mm-hmm. I think you're, they're only allowed to harvest a couple of them each year, so it's a big deal. Yeah, well, so, well, that's Mac fact-checking something. Yeah, he's, he's on his fax machine. <laughs> yeah. faxing somebody over there? Is there that's dial-up in there. Yeah. Well, you know why we're so slow to respond around here? Because we're running on phone lines. So I, so I got the Internet to work, and there, there is 15 species of tuna in uh, the world, uh, specifically that there are – Big eye, black skipjacks, black fin, blue fin. Uh, and the blue fin's actually found in the Atlantic, Pacific, and the southern uh, regions. Uh, bullet, frigate, uh, little toony, uh, long tail, skipjack, slender, and yellow fin. Uh-huh. So there's a whole I think lot. little tunny is a yeah, bonita. And I've called a skipjack. We, yeah, we ate it. it at the office. Yeah. In Ch- the albacore. Family. Chicken of the sea. So All of them are good, fresh. So no when, it, when you buy a can of tuna at the grocery store, what, what kind of tuna is that? Canned. It's probably, it's probably it's I think albacore is common. Yeah. And they not cook good. it and pressure cook it. So It's good. I like that. It's not near as good as it is when it's fresh. Yeah, I don't know that I can do that. Well, you y'all can, just you cut can do and it. eat it. Oh, yeah. I'd try it, but I just, you know, with the boat going up and down and the smell of diesel and all, I just, yeah. <laughs> You get much to say. I have been before. Yeah, I sure <laughs> have. So, so, uh, so the summer issue, guys, is in the mail. Yeah. So it ought to be arriving any day. I love that cover. Box. Seeing that deer eating those blackberries. It, it just is, reminds me of very summery. Yeah. Yeah. What does it remind you of? Just native browse, how important it is. I think about Dudley when I look at that cover. Yeah, I was a big fan of that cover. Yeah. yeah. It was a great one. Steve. And you, because you're kind of a blackberry fan. Too. I love blackberries. Yeah. yeah I absolutely do. So uh well, look, uh Mac, where are you? Uh, is he over there on so chicken talking? Don't you have a uh, don't you have some kind of a commercial Prepare for us before we get started. I do. Uh, so, speaking of the magazine, I wanted to talk about the four uh, the four issues that come out quarterly, and as the seasons are changing, it's an awesome. 
tool that game keepers can use. You can keep it in your truck. I mean, you can learn something new. And one cool feature is, is now is uh, it's completely auto renewal. So you'll never miss a magazine. We've got a lot of a lot of guys and gals that give us calls all the time, and they're upset that their subscription expired. And uh, so we we fixed that, and now everybody's set up with auto renew, so you'll never miss a magazine. And I think that that a lot of folks are excited about that. I yeah. know I am. That's a great modern feature. And if even if you don't want to auto, there's a button you can click if you don't want auto renew. But I more people like it than not. Right, absolutely. It's a true subscription now. Uh, now that we have the auto renew process set up, and it'll be great for for everybody so they don't miss a magazine. Because I know a lot of people like collecting them and and don't want to miss out on the gamekeeper tools and tactics. They do, so they can go to www mossyoakgamekeeper.com and they can, they can sign up, right, Matt? Absolutely. And another cool feature about the magazine uh, that I'm not sure a lot of people know about or, or take advantage of is our app that we have. And so even if you don't have that hard copy or you left it at your house or it's at the camp, you can pull that app up uh, really wherever you get cell phone service. Check your content on there we need to. Yeah. Take it out in the field with Back you. check people right. you're with. You can like go over ones. the Ask Dudley questions, all of them. Oh, look at there. <laughs> That's a great deal. No, the app is great. The and magazine's great. Yeah. The app's free. The magazine's about twenty dollars a year. Right. Twenty dollars. You divide that over three hundred sixty five days. What does that come out to be, Mac? You got the I can't that, do math. That yeah, that, that's a value. I think it's, it's about a, like a bag of fertilizer. A nickel a day. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Less than a cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> we, ought to, we ought to be salesmen. All right, well, let's, where is, let's bring in Keith Baggett, if we can get the horns going here. All right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> he, he's so preppy looking over there. Oh. <laughs> Press shirt and cactus. to go. He fits right in. My wife had something to do with this. Yeah, well, she, yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, you're stylish. Yeah. We like the way you look. I appreciate that. Yeah, well, thank you for being here. You bet. Good We're uh, here. You know, last week we had Greg Wall from Helena. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this week we've got Keith Baggett. Learning about invasives last week. Yeah. That's good stuff. Helena's a great company. So before we get started uh, in learning a little bit about you, just it, it, this would, this podcast, would we had multiple listeners request that we yeah. talk about herbicides. So, Herbicide applications, yeah. what to use, when to use it, how to use it. It's a, it's a huge, it's a huge gamekeeper tool. It really is. It, it, you're right. So wherever a guy might be listening to this, if he's got chemical questions, there's a hell in a location near him. He can just Google and find out the nearest one and go right up to him and ask him questions and purchase product or whatever he needs to do. That's right. That's right. Yeah, y'all got a bunch of locations. All the information's online, and it has a um, location you know, guide. You can just click on the state, and it'll list the locations. It has phone numbers. Yeah. So, so what, what we want to talk about, you know, I want to ideally get you to let's maybe start at pre-emergence and post-emergence, explain those, and then and then herbicides. And finally, I'd, I'd like to talk about insecticides. But before we get started, just to make sure we keep all our listeners safe, if you would just kind of talk about what you do when you're going to pour up some herbicide, if there's any protective measures you take. And we want to make guys feel safe and comfortable with this process and keep them safe. Well, first of all, you know, the label's the law. You know, and so whoever is applying the product needs to understand the label and needs to follow the label, rates, uh, crops, and all that. Um, when it comes to his protection, it's got a section on the label, personal protection equipment. And to take a good look at that and completely understand 
what that equipment is and and just to you know follow follow those guidelines uh it's pretty pretty it's all it's all there written for you yeah so so you're gonna wear gloves and you're gonna wear some kind of high protection and just just make sure that you take care that's right that's right be smart common sense i know greg brought up the deal the other day about mixing below your eye level Mm -hmm. just just common sense things that that to do you know but but really uh i just encourage everybody to follow the label look at that pp ppe section and uh you know, get comfortable with these. These herbicides are safe. You just do it right. PPE is an acronym for personal, personal protection equipment. equipment. That's correct. Which has been a hot topic over the last year, year and a half. It, it has. Yeah, <laughs> you hear that on the news a lot. Yeah. So, you know, what I want our guys to come away from is the technology that the farmers have been using for years. And her current, there's Lanny's bookie. Man, how long does I have this right? Come on, I won something. <laughs> yeah, that was somebody's probably calling trying to sell you a warranty for your That's drug. exactly what it is yeah. from Itabina, Mississippi. <laughs> how they, I didn't know they sold warranties over there. Brother. <laughs> so what I want them to learn is that the technology that farmers, you can get guys who have been helping farmers for years to, to be a better farmer, have a better crop, you, how they can apply this to their food plots and improve their their food plot, be a better gamekeeper, be a, as you said earlier, be a better steward of the land. And what I'm excited about, and I should have already said this, but you're a hunter, you're a gamekeeper yourself. So Correct. you know what we need a guy to do. So let's kind of talk about that and, and how a guy can be a better gamekeeper using some of these products. Can I back up a little bit? Yeah, and give, please, I'm, I'm just going to give a little background. Yeah. Um, it kind of lends itself to the car. It does to the conversation. But uh, I grew up in a little town called Bonita, Louisiana. It's on the Louisiana side of Mississippi River. It's in the Delta. Uh, grew up in a small town. My dad had a uh, he had a pharmacy, and uh, I grew up working, helping him around there when I'd get in from school. And uh, he had a Napa store, and he had a Quick Stop and an irrigation business. So, man, he was busy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I burned a little bit of things going on there. My, my initial deal was to burn boxes, so I was burning boxes at a lot of places, you yeah. know, cleaning up when I'd get in from school. Pyro. Yeah. I grew up pre-four-wheeler days hunting mm-hmm. and fishing, you know, and my mode of transportation was an 8-in Ford tractor. There you go. And I had a little trailer I'd put behind it, and I'd throw all my beagles in it, you know, and that's how I got around, you know. But, uh, you know, just had a had a wonderful uh, time growing up. I, really simple times back then, you know. Mm-hmm. Things have gotten a lot faster now. and No doubt. Wish, wish my kids could experience some of the same things I, I have, you know. But uh, that gives you a little, you know, a little sense of what I, uh, where I grew up. But why I'm in this business, this is kind of comical. My dad in the drugstore was kind of a, a hub of the community, you know, during the winter or even during the summer, you know, you got your locals that come hang out. And, of course, I would hang out there a lot. But during the winter, I kept seeing this guy come in, and he had hunting clothes on, you know, and real nice guy. And I finally said, Dad, what does that guy do for a living? Because he wasn't a local guy, you know. He said, well, he, he duck hunts up here, uh, son. And I said, well, I said, I understand that, but what is how did, what does he do for a living? He said he's in the chemical seed and fertilized business. <laughs> Partner, I locked on to that. Yeah. I'm, I'm gonna go duck <laughs> <on>. yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I said, You mean to tell me he can work 
and and then gets to hunt a lot during the during the winter. He said, "That's right. He's entertaining customers and doing that sort of thing." I said, "That's what I'm going to do." Right up my alley. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> you know, that was I don't know what how old I was, but that's where I got that's where I guess I made my mind up. You know, and I went to college and majored in ag business. So here I am, and 35 years later, you know, uh, that's about how long I've been in the. In this business. Well, he's so, got his priorities in yeah, mind. You can yeah, tell that 100%. I, I still don't know what I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> but we do yeah. have some boxes out back. Yeah. Me, right? okay. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, that that's how I got started in the business. I've been with a couple of companies since then. I've, I've started in ag. I made a run through forestry uh, with Helena. Now mm-hmm. I'm back on the ag side. So, you know, you say forestry, it's still a crop. Right, sure. Still, still a lot of the same similar applications, you know. But uh, getting back to your question, you know, and and, and kind of, you know, let's cut this right here. And okay. We'll go back to the question. Okay. What was your? Yeah. So let's start. Why don't we start? And uh, let's. Exp- would you explain pre-emergence to us real quick? Okay. Pre-emergence is a uh, you know it's uh, it's a herbicide you put out prior to the to the seed emerging, mm-hmm. basically. That's just in simple terms. It can be put out after you plant. It can be put out um, uh, before you plant. Some of them can't incorporate it. I've always said it doesn't matter if you uh, have lawn care business or whatever business, uh, planting type business you're in, you eliminate a lot of your problems if you can find a label product for that particular food plot that you can put out as a pre-emerge. It's a, it's a real important foundation for for growing a crop. So basically, that's what a pre-emerge is. Yeah, so a guy could, but they need to be careful with this, though. It, it is, we're talking about herbicides now, right? That's, just want to clear that up. That's correct. Pre-emerge is yeah. herbicides. Yeah. But it yeah. could be a granular form, too. Can It can, it can. yeah. So, but... The as well as this, I, this whole thought works, I have heard of people that tried, did a pre-emerge for a summer crop mm-hmm. that had lasting effects into the fall and prevented them from being able to grow wheat that that, that next fall. So guys need to think about things like that, uh, uh, you know, six months on down the yeah, road. Yeah, because I always thought pre-emerge, I, you know, I'm going to show, show how much I don't know, blocked anything from coming up from the soil. But they're, they're, they can be species-specific too, so... Yes. Yeah. Okay. It might like yeah. the grass specific. I got yeah. grass, and, and so that that would keep the wheat from coming up that fall. Mm-hmm. You know, it's important to know your your ground too, and what seed bank you may have out there when you're trying to find a label that matches up to your crop, but also the species that it controls. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. So that so the pre-emerge a guy could work his soil, and when you talk about incorporate, you're talking about disking it into the soil, or, or pulling a hair over it. You know, just incorporating it a little. Right. The majority of it now is is not incorporated. You know, they lay it on the ground out um, after they plant as as a pre-emerge, and and hopefully they get the rainfall to activate it. So then, when you talk about post-emergent, that that's where most of the herbicide is used. Well, that's that when you talk post-emergent, that's you know that the crop is up and you're coming over the top, and you're spraying a herbicide to kill what's up. Mm. That's yeah. So it is an example of these guys. These you see these farmers that are planting Roundup crop, crop, glyphosate resistant crops, mm-hmm. and then they're going over the top of the that's spring. a post application. Yeah. yeah, pre is prior to emergence. So, yeah. So I've I've done some pre emergent applications, like uh, if you're growing a, a conventional soybean, mm-hmm. 
uh, believe you can use uh, like trifluralin mm-hmm. or pendimethylin. That's correct. And you put that out. I, I believe one of them you incorporate and another right. you leave on the surface. Right. Uh, I'm not looking at a label right now, but right. Uh, it, it gets a lot of the grasses and a, and a few of the broadleaves that, that compete with legumes. That's correct. But like yeah. Bobby mentioned earlier, uh, if you decide you want to plant something in the fall behind it, You've got to check your label and make sure, like, if you were going to plant wheat or oats, um, on how that's going to affect that next crop. Even uh, plant back restrictions are just important to look at. I've got, are- I, I've got something I carry in my truck all the time. And even in burn down applications where we're getting ready to plant, the 2,4-Ds and the dicambas, depending on which crop you're coming with behind that burn down, look at your day's on, you know, on those charts to find out how soon you can come back. Gotcha. You know, I, I recently had uh, a former back home that uh, did some burn down. And uh, when you say burn down, you're talking about site prep, getting getting that ground ready to plant your seed. But he's spraying something. He's, spraying. he's not literally burning it. No, he's no, no. I'm sorry. He's trying to kill everything yeah, in that yeah, field. Yeah. That's I'm, correct. I'm just trying to make sure I listen. Yeah. Lingo. Right. But. But he had put out something that was that had a a, a longer residual there. It's going to push him back. So uh, kind of caught him off guard a little bit. But 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 you're exactly right. Be sure you understand the chemistries that you're putting down and how quick you can come back with certain specific crops. Sure. And again, the label's so important. It may tell you uh, for different soil types. That's right. How, how long that that residual is going to be in the soil? So right. it may be a really coarse soil, and it takes longer. Or a heavy clay may work. It's you know. That's right. So. That's right. And most state and you can back in uh, home in Arkansas, you know, they've got they got some good resources there that you can look up plant backs. Yeah. Yeah. So. We keep hearing a lot about, and it seems like in the last four or five years, or maybe a little longer than that, pigweed has just become this huge problem in a lot of places. That's right. What's going on with pigweed? Well, I mean, they produce so many seed, you know, and and uh, you know we've uh, we, we've been fighting them for years, and and then of course we, you know, when we have our floods, and and they 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 bring new seed into new areas, and they got resistant to. to so some of the things, Roundup, Roundup won't kill a pigweed. You know, the neat thing going on now in row crop is is we've got dicamba, uh, and the crops are resistant to dicamba. And so we're able to come over the top and uh, really address pigweed issues, you so, know. That, that's just been a specific problem. It just seems like it's just bubbled up, and we're hearing people that never had pigweed that have pigweed now. That's right. That's right. And, you know, it just uh, – it's it's a tough plant, and it's it's spread you know through the floods, it spreads through equipment. Uh, it's, it's a tough it's a tough uh, cat back home. Yeah, well, and everywhere. Yeah. So if it pops up somewhere, will glyphosate knock it? No, glyphosate is just totally resistant. To glyphosate. I, you know, I've seen some guys spot some stuff. I mean, I spotted some around the office there one day. I was spraying a fence row, and really really dosed up on one, and it it really ragged it up. Uh, it, but it didn't it didn't kill it dead. Right. Yeah, it's on. Uh, so over time, it's become more and more resistant. That's mm-hmm. right. That's right. But the dicamba changed that picture. We're able to clean these fields up. We've we've got some restrictions on dicamba, and as far as dates, we can put it out. So, so t- talk a little bit about you guys have got products that 
maybe they're water conditioners or, 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 or products that uh, reduce the foaming that just that a guy can use to help make his spray perform better coming out of the tank? That's correct. Uh, let's talk water conditioner. That was my question, Bobby. Uh, <laughs> all right, go ahead. The product we, we, we use is Quest, okay? And uh, just because just because water uh, looks good doesn't mean that it, it it can carry that herbicide to the plant like it needs to. So Quest, you know, it can be uh, different metals in the water. We've heard about hard water. Uh, pH can be high. For for instance, back home, we we've tested a number of the water sources, like at, at aerial applicators, and to understand what the pH of the water was, and and it's running pretty high. I think it was averaging about an eight, which certain herbicides do better in lower pH uh, solutions. For instance, clethodon, tap out, um, also Roundup. So, you know, paying attention to water quality, it, it can make the difference in your in your herbicide working or, or not working. And so kind of the general rule of thumb, we put, uh, we put our uh, product in at a quart per 100 gallons of water. And it corrects a lot. It ties up a lot of the things that are in the water that can cause you problems with the herbicide. And so that's wow. So a hundred gallons is a lot of a lot of water. I mean, a yeah. lot of our guys have a twenty-five gallon sprayer, and well, you, you know, just divide it by four. This quarter percent, quarter percent, Thank you, usually Tony. does the job. <laughs> yeah, and it's also ammonium sulfate uh, uh, type product. That how we, we'll put Quest in over ammonium sulfate. So we talk about ammonium sulfate a lot. Yeah, we do. It, we do. We t- talked about it last week and how it kind of tricks the plant into thinking that, that boy, this is good for me mm-hmm. yeah. and uh, growing and sucking in those uh, or, or uptaking those the, the herbicide. Right. Quest will do that for you. So. And so you add that. Uh, what order do you add that? You put to the, the quest tank? in before you put the, the herbicide. Right. So That's you're, you're conditioning the water That's before correct. you add the herbicide. That's correct. Let me tell you how, and this is a, something that happened to me years ago, and, and uh, um, but I had a large complaint on a glyphosate. This will show you what uh, things in the water can do to the performance of, of certain chem- chemistries. Had a large complaint, and it was a Roundup back then that had been put out, and it didn't work. And so we went out there to work the complaint and uh, just trying to gather all the information we could to try to figure out what happened. Come to find out, he'd pulled the the water out of the ditch, and it was muddy ditch, so it had all that sediment in it. It totally tied the glyphosate up. Mm. So in layman's terms, it's like a magnet. That's right. the herbicide sticks to the particles of soil or the metals in there, and then it just kind of falls out and Ties becomes ineffective. Ineffective. So water quality, that's a thats a no-brainer when it comes to doing what we do as far as spraying herbicides. Well, it seems like, you know, pulling water out of the ditch would be just something that anybody would realize this is going to – this is going to – the screens and the filters – uh, and the sprayers seem like they clog up. You want to go back to the shop, I guess, and fill up. I don't know, making it, you know, a quicker application. But uh, we stopped it after that. You know, he understood what the situation was sure. about. Yeah. And uh, I, I could be wrong, but I also understand that, the, you know, the like some, a product like Quest, uh, if you were to 
spray one afternoon and realize, oh gosh, I've got 20 gallons left, uh, but it's getting dark. I may need to, I can't come back for three more days. That will make it, uh, the active ingredient last longer. It, Is that yes. correct? It, yes. I mean, it's, you know, you've, you've taken care of water quality issues. Now there's certain chemistries that have, uh, you know, half-life, you know, that's terms used in understanding how long, uh, how quick it breaks down. So it may not just be a water quality issue. It could be the herbicide. You know, we try to get all our product put out in that day. Sure. It rains catch us. I mean, we've had some, you know, certain chemistries can settle out on you. You know, we've got some other products that can help in keeping that product in suspension. That's uh, the word, suspension. Yeah. We want, it, we want it to stay mixed up. And sometimes if we get in a rain situation, we'll, we'll add that product to the mix uh, and and to help that, you know, it may be three days before he gets back. Yeah. So is there a rule of thumb that you guys go by if uh, that for the product to be sprayed and taken up by the plants? And then if and, and if you know it's going to rain, say, in three or four hours, do you, are you all comfortable going ahead and spraying? Or is that day you're just going to say no? That's by chemistry. Just like you have the, the plant back uh, label, uh, you know, a, a plant back guide that I told you about when you can come back with certain varieties. There are charts that you can get that go down the chemistry that you're spraying. Some of them get in the plant quicker than others. Some some six hours. Uh, there's some that only an hour. So knowing what you're, you know, what you're applying uh, can, you know, it helps you make the right decision when you've got uh, rain coming. Sure. Back to the label again. We get countless calls like that every year. You know, look, thunderstorms are coming, and, and, and with all the products, you know, you walk in a hell in a warehouse, whatever it is, three or 400 products sitting there, you know, I still have to go back to the charts and check, you know, that particular chemistry. So it, the information's out there. Mm. Yeah. So I get a question all the time at the office, and folks want, uh, call in. <laughs> What? We're playing the Polka. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Mac must have woke up. Yeah, that. <laughs> that's a fell asleep. But, uh, the soundboard button. A lot of folks won't say, you know, so I just planted this. What can I spray for weeds? Mm -hmm. um, instead of saying I've planted this and this species of plant is coming up that that is undesirable, um, What's what's your what do you say to that question? So right, I, has, I'm planting clover. What do I need to spray for weeds? First of all, has the clover come up? Or are we talking yes. prior to it emerging? Or it it doesn't matter. So I, I guess what I'm saying is, is is people are asking what do I need to spray without knowing what the problematic weed may be. Sound like they're getting the cart before the horse yeah. there, does yeah. yeah, I mean, really, when it comes down, you, you need to understand the, 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 what's out there. Right. I, I knew the answer to the question, but I, I was just trying to. So would you break it down into broadleaf or grass? It, it, would that be the first step? Yeah. So I got broadleaf weeds or I got. I think weed ID is a huge part of this, obviously. Sure. You know, figuring out what And my, my point is, is we don't want people going out there just blanket spraying what they think is going to work. No, uh, we need to identify the problem or or know what the problem is before we choose a a, a chemistry 
to apply. I've been in the business uh, about 35 years, okay, and walk a lot of fields, check a lot of different situations. Rice is one of the, it can be one of the most challenging ones as far as identifying small, you know, small weeds. That's a challenge in whatever crop it is because sometimes when they're small, uh, they're not as easy to identify as to when they get some size on them. Uh, my point would be, you know, it's, it's, it's real important to know the, the history and what's been out there in the past. And then, you know, if you can, it is very crucial that you identify those species out there so that you can put the right chemistry out there to, to control it. It may be a tank mix of something. And, you know, I, I, I constantly use my phone when I'm in the field. If I've got a little grass and, you know, it, 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 it may, I may not recognize it, you know, because it's so small, man, I'll sit down out there with my phone and, and some guides and really try to pick it apart, you know. So it, it's, it's important to do that. Yeah, I'd take some pictures, and if you can't figure it out, call your local NRCS USDA office. Yeah, and I, I know a lot of the – I know Mississippi State does, but other land-grant universities yeah. have that weed control guideline. You know, it's like an inch-thick book that, that's right. that talks about all the different active ingredients and, and yeah, what that's, works. That's the Arkansas one. There, okay, right? yeah, what works yeah. best on what weed and all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, that would be something good, uh, if you can, to, to – Get a hold of, right, and, and read and learn. Uh, I think it's called the Southern Weed Society. They, they, uh, I've got an old book. It's about that thick, and it goes through broadleafs and grass. I keep it in my truck, uh, so that I can, you know, and 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 th- so it's out there, and it's probably in some kind of digital form now mm-hmm. that you can put on your phone. That's so, yeah, mm. yep. So much of the weeds that we we hear about and see about are. Or spring and summer weeds. Well, there's really not many winter weed problems for the for the food plot guys. I mean, they exist, but when these temperatures start getting cool, it's pretty hard to kill those plants, isn't it? Um, if if you if you're trying to kill them, like in to get ready to plant in the spring, okay, maybe you're getting a food plot, and we go back to that terminology, burn down. Okay, you can really clean some of the winter stuff up uh, prior to planting in the spring. Now, over the top, depending on what maybe winter food plots you got up out there, yeah, it could it could present it could present some challenges. Uh, henbit is one mm-hmm. that we all deal with a lot in row crop, and I've dealt with it in my food plots. Uh, um, and uh, there's a, there's a, there's a few other ones. Uh, uh, ryegrass now. No, I mean that's that that it's a nightmare in some row crop situations mm-hmm. back home. Food plot situations yeah. here too, but but to answer, but to drill that down, you know, uh, you know, winter weeds are you, you can take them out. It just depends on what crop you got out there. If you don't have a crop, we've got the chemistries and the tank mixes to to clean it up for spring planting. Yeah, so you know what I was specifically talking about it was that you plant something in say September, and about October you start seeing a few winter weeds popping up. It gets hard to kill those, is what I was. Where I was trying to go with that, because the temperature, temperature wise, just it's uh, you know it's 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 cooler. That's right. That's right. So yeah. does that limit plants' uptake ability in the when it's cooler for herbicides? The whole thought process when it comes to herbicides is that you want that plant actively growing, uh-huh. so that it takes the, Take chem- the, the chemistry, chemistry in, and the chemistry does what it's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. So yes, winter can toughen. Some stuff up. They're not growing that much. They're just. It's almost like they're 
it's almost like they're dormant, mm-hmm. you know, and so uh, the chemistry uh, may not do what it's supposed to do. You know, so one of the main things that that, that our guys are doing, I mean, we've got guys planting these game-changer soybeans. And I've got a little plot of that going on right now, and I'm kind of using that. It's a glyphosate-resistant Mm-hmm. But I'm using that in a new plot that I created, and I've got a kudzu problem. Mm-hmm. So I can grow these soybeans, but I can spray over the top with glyphosate, and I can keep my beans in there while I'm knocking my kudzu back. Right. Right. Yeah. And it, from what I've learned from Greg Wall, it's going to take a couple of two, three springs on that kudzu to kind of knock it back. you got to, you know, kind of. Hang with it. You, you do. It's just not a one-time no pun thing. intended. What, he, yeah. what what Greg say? It'll grow a foot a day? Yeah. All right. On the way over here, I don't remember exactly where it was. I'm looking at a cornfield this morning, and right beside it was a fence row and a, and a little bottom. Solid kudzu. And I made a point to slow down to look at that corn to see if any of that kudzu had crawled over maybe and got on those first two rows. The guy had done a pretty good job of keeping that from happening. So probably the roundup. Yeah. You know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, the what's exciting to me is a guy can use a crop like that and use some of this technology mm-hmm. and work on the problems that may be there in the plot. I mean, that, that, that kudzu's not going to be a problem forever. I'll be able to clean that up eventually and work on that weed seed bank, clean that up. And eventually, that if, if, if my... Thinking is correct here. I mean, 10 years from now, it may have a much better food plot. Let me, let me seed bed. Yes, yes. Let me make that uh, kind of uh, go along with that. I had a, a farmer that picked up a brand new uh, farm this year back home. Okay. And uh, the guy that had it before didn't do a very good job. Okay. The same farmer, my customer, has another farm that he's had for 10 years. And, and these are great, great farmers. And that place is clean, okay? This new farm he picked up, it's going to take him time, and that lends itself to what you say. If you'll keep – over time, if you can keep keep that uh, crop clean, it makes a difference in the long run. It really does. So he's had some challenges on this new farm, but uh, we've got – you know, it's done a good job. It just takes a little more chemistry. Sure. And there may be some weeds, Dudley, I'm looking at you here, that are – beneficial for wildlife sure things that things that you you know want to have around but for the most part if you can keep those weeds out of that plot those weeds are then uptaking the fertilizer that you put out so competition yeah so it's it's allowing the beneficial plants ones that you want there to be to be all that they can be so to speak sure and and it can be a personal choice but if if you see something uh coming up in there that you think you know I like deer, but I also like birds and butterflies and things like that. Uh, you know, ragweed's a great example. Mm-hmm. Uh, deer readily gobble it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, quail pain. like the seeds, you yeah. know, that kind of thing. Um, so some, you just have to make a decision based on your goals, whether you want to have a really clean crop. Uh, you know, a lot of these duck people are growing dirty corn mm-hmm. where they uh, like the, you know, they have the corn up top and then they have some, Barnyard grass. Yeah, stuff down below. Mm-hmm. Uh, things for the snails to climb on and all that good stuff. So you just have to make a conscious decision based on your goals um, and, and what knowledge you have on, on what to do in each situation. 
Probably the most common herbicide question we get asked, people talk about trying to clean up their clovers. Yep. And uh, that, that, that seems to be uh, whether it's grasses in their clovers or it's broadleafs in their clovers. And so I, I know, you know, some of that stuff at, at, at your locations, you've got all those products as well. And I think a guy with a 25-gallon sprayer on his four-wheeler, he can, he can really do a lot to help improve his, uh, his clover by managing it, spraying it, controlling, mowing it, all those different things. We, we've, uh, we, we've learned managing that clover is, is important. No doubt. Yeah. It's um, any of these crops, you know, just managing the competition that's out there. You know, it, it just it benefits you in the long run. And, and uh, there is a host of products uh, in Helena warehouses that 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 fit into, into the wildlife industry. Again, just uh, make sure you look at the label and, and see if it matches up to that particular uh, food plot. Yeah, sure. Sure. So uh, I'm looking over at Mike. He's got his hand raised. He must have a question somewhere. He's I hadn't got to ask a question yet because you and Dudley have been talking so much. I'm just saying. <laughs> We're hogging. Yeah, but go ahead, Mac. I got one after you. <laughs> All, right. All right. I've got a couple. They're going to be rapid fire, I guess, but I think you'll be able to hit, knock them out of the park. So one fear I think people have uh, specifically for food plots is drift. So mm-hmm. say, say you have uh, a couple food plots that might have a, you know, uh, a bottleneck in them and you have two different types of food plots, how much do you have to worry about drift? Depends on, it depends on the uh, sensitive uh, areas around you. You know, uh, spraying, and I'll just come back to ag, you know, spraying a rice field right beside uh, a cotton field with an airplane can be a challenge. No doubt. Right. You know, so, you know, what's sensitive around you that, that, that uh, it could be somebody's tomato patch, and that can be really challenging you know so knowing uh what your concern is and then looking at the chemistry to see if it uh if it has an impact on it i get i've gotten a call this morning on the way over here a guy needs to spray some sedge in a rice field uh there's corn and soybeans around it so what can we put in that airplane that uh that that the airplane can get out and not cause any problems to the neighbors so it's just a lot of information to gather but let me get back to this too. The guy doing the spraying, uh, you you can spray some uh, pretty uh, uh, sensitive areas, meaning it has some potential off tar. If you pay attention to the wind, keep you keep your pressure low. A lot of you know, there's a lot of ground rigs running in the delta now, and a, a, a lot of good applicators, and they've learned to keep the pressure low, watch the wind, uh, you know, not drag things out to the end. But, uh, yes, sir. That makes sense. I think some of them, the temperature it plays yeah. an effect. Uh, I've, I've read several labels where it says if it gets above 90 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, we're it, talking it, about aerial applications, too. You know, most of the guys out in these fields are going to be doing tank applications. But check the wind. Turn on your Onyx. Pull up your weather. See where the wind's coming from. Uh, and keep on double-checking it. Right. I have uh, one more. If you're going to spray in the springtime, what time of day do you prefer to spray, specifically food plots? Is it in the morning, or is it midday, or is it in the afternoon? Well, first of all, are you, are you, what, what, are you, what are you spraying for? Uh, say you're spraying for grass-specific uh, in a clover patch. Uh, you know, uh, my thoughts on that are, you know, we, we don't uh, – you know, we really don't 
certain chemistries we do. But, uh, you know, if you're paying attention to the wind, maybe paying attention to the wind, rain, or whatever. I don't think there's any preference in that situation. Depends on if he's going fishing that morning or not. Yeah, that's right. If I'm going crappie fishing, not crappy, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I'm hey. gonna. I'm surprised you don't say sockelay. <laughs> sockelay. <laughs> I, 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 I'll use that every once in a while. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. Black perch. But that, did that answer your question? I mean, that, yes, sir, okay. it did. And then my last thing was was more uh, a call to action. So we get a we get a lot of call ins asking about herbicides, asking about applications, asking about what to spray, and we don't have a we don't have a good uh, how to on our website. And I think it'd be cool if we could partner with with Helena on a you know at least a specific breakdown of some food plot applicators that we we could have available to spread that information and also have it available on our website. I think it I think it'd be a good way to kind of inform our food potters and gamekeepers. So we could give them Keith's phone number. <laughs> <laughs> <Get after me. laughs> hey, uh, so that's what we do. Yeah, it sounds yeah. like it talks to a lot of people about it. That's yeah. for sure. But you know, we're here to help. Uh Helena reps are here to help. Um any information you need to develop uh that part of your website, uh, let's, let's, let's work on it. Yes, sir. Thank you. I think that's all I got. I don't want to take up too much time. Let, let me, one thing you came up about, uh, uh, where drift came into Helena's got several drift agents that are really helpful that we sell a lot of when you're doing application. And I encourage everyone, you know, where you've got is, is to take a look at that. It really can, uh, it really can uh, get you out of a bind. Now it doesn't, it's not if the wind's blowing 15 miles an hour it's not gonna you know be smart about it but it can it can really reduce those fines so that you're saying it makes that droplet size bigger correct so it will fall instead of get yeah correct and and then those are uh those are good tools that we use a lot uh, in our business yeah lanny you got a question yeah, I think y'all have all kind of skipped around it a little bit, but I mean, I think we really need to break down what are the top chemicals out there for gamekeepers. We've talked about site prep, you know, we've talked about burn down. Um, you know, just thinking from a gamekeeper's perspective, we got to prepare our plots, whether it's spring or summer. We got to control two things mainly broadleafs and grasses. Uh, and then, of course, just like you always said, the clover thing. So, you know, I guess what are the, the, the four things you think that are, are most applicable to both those situations and keeping in mind too guys fall food plots like you said most of the fall food plots or blends or mixes of of cereal grains and broadleaf so um i don't even is there a way you know to control that probably not um but just basically you know what are the the four things you're going to keep or five things or three things or whatever it happens to be you know that are in your arsenal specifically uh for wildlife food plots all right. The first, the first that comes to mind is uh, let's talk burn down. Mm-hmm. Let, let's start at the beginning. You're getting your ground ready, okay? And I may take a little uh, sidetrack here, but uh, knowing your ground and 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 knowing the you know uh, you start with fertility, okay? And uh, be sure you understand that piece. Uh, understand if it needs to be. Maybe you need to do some dirt work. Maybe you need to put some steel in it. I've seen some of these food plots that were. Uh, the ground was so compact. I don't know if you get a seed planted in it. Mm-hmm. So understanding that part of it, uh, and maybe you can no-till it. But to 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 
you you can clean you can clean a food plot up either with steel to, to, as far as getting it ready to plant, or you can clean it up with herbicide. So, so mechanically let, or chemically. That's correct. Mm-hmm. So now let's talk chemistry. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, Showdown, which is a glyphosate. Uh, we've talked about that product. Showdown is an excellent. Just broad spectrum type product. Non-specific. It's going to smoke That's, everything in that field. It, it can, except but, for pigweed. <laughs> That's, right. That's right. And we do have some other challenges. It's very common in in agriculture for us to tank mix uh, something with glyphosate. Let's mm-hmm. talk two four D. Our product Unison, uh, something we've talked about in the past. You can tank mix the two of those, and really, uh, you can really get you know get a clean plot. Uh, it takes a little bit of uh, time for it to really burn it down. Uh, look at the plant back on on 2,4-D as to what you're coming with. Mm-hmm. So those are those are two. Those work in combination. They do. Yeah. They do. And and as far as uh, other products, uh, you know, I'd look at uh, the next thing would be uh, possibly a pre-emerge mm-hmm. and how it fits. Uh, pendomethyl, mm-hmm. prowl, Okay. Now, you kind of got some uh, restrictions on the label, depending on what kind of, you know, what product you're planting out there, what seed variety. But it does have a fit in this business uh, as far as laying a pre-emerge down. Uh, just have to, again, look at look at the variety you're planting. And know what you're planting. Right? Know what you're planting and see, plant. see if it's on the label. All right. And so, and you kind of, that, that's pretty much it on the pre-emerge standpoint. So now we've got a crop up. Mm-hmm. Okay. We've got our product tap out. Uh, clethodon product. That's grass uh, specific. Grass specific. That's yeah. correct. So depending on the depending on the food plot, you can come over the top with uh, with tap out, and you can take out your your grass competition. And so that would be in clover plots. That would also be soybeans, protein peas, uh, those kind of products, right? Well, it's kind of plots. He's going to tell you though. You got to read. Got to read the label. Got to read that. Yeah. 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 Man, but we see guys use that. A lot. Bloggers, we hear people call in, talk about the success that they're having. We we just, yes, yes, just, yes to what you said. All right, so jump on to controlling broadleafs. Broadleafs, uh, I know uh, Buterac has some friendly spots on the label. Okay. Um, 2,4-DB, a.k.a. That's, Buterac. That's, Buterac. that's correct. That's, I, I grew up calling it Buterac, but yep. it's 2,4-DB. Uh, All right. Um, uh, Mazamox, it has some... Uh, Friendly uh, language in the label when it comes we to food. Depending we on. see that being used increasingly more and more. For controlling right. broadleaves? Uh, I know a lot of people will mix that with a grass-specific um, for clover. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I think folks use it on legumes, too. Um, but, yeah, that's a good one. But, you know, I'm, you got to know what you're controlling, too, back yeah. to reading the label. But... We hear a lot of people, uh, you know, the 2,4-DB, AK Buterac can can be a little hot on right. certain things. Like, I don't recommend it over the top of uh, any type of pea anymore because uh, I've, I've seen it damage it pretty heavily. And, and that Imox or Amazamox right. uh, seems to work really well. Right. So there's even herbicides that control specific broadleaves and other not other broadleaves? That's correct. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty. So some will sure. some will affect a broadleaf, but will not affect a, a broadleaf legume. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. You, uh, I use this a lot. The Arkansas uh, Rec Book, and it uh, it has broadleafs listed by chemistry, and it it ranks them from one to 
nine as far as or, or ten as far as the control. So understanding what's out there and what broadleaf material mm-hmm. you know uh, brings the most punch to that situation. So on on the contrary, are grass specific herbicides are, are they the same way? They pretty much kill all grasses. Uh, not all grasses, yeah. but but I will say this: they kill they kill. The majority of what we run up against, yeah, and, and it's important. I mean, corn is a grass. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. So you know, everybody, sunflowers, sunflowers are grass. Yeah. Um, no, they're not. No, they're not, Bobby. Sunflowers not a grass. No, no. Mm-mm. Way to go. Hmm. Hey, give me my. <laughs> Where's the buzzer, man? <laughs> so, but it is. I mean, it's amazing what all are grasses out there. So, are millets grasses? Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, yes. You know, knowing knowing whether you've got a grass or a, or a, a broadleaf or a legume, that's kind of the buckets I put them in. I don't know if that's t- you know deep enough, um, but either which way. Cool. Uh, one more question for two more questions if I, if I could ask. Uh, one is what is a surfactant and what does it have to do with spraying chemicals? All right. Um, the one that we've, we've talked about is dynamic. I'm just throwing that name That's out That's the Helena brand name one? That's the right. Helena brand name. Okay. And, and basically what surfactants uh, are doing and it is uh, they're ensuring that that chemistry that you're delivering is, 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 is uh, delivered to that plant. And as you know, the, that it, the deposition is good. Mm-hmm. Okay. Also that it spreads on the leaf surface. You know, there's there's uh, talking about uh, surface tension. You know, if you put, we've got some demonstrations where we see a drop of water on the on the plant, nothing in it. You know, and you can add add our, some of our products to it, dynamic, and you'll see that surface tension reduce so that that droplet can spread. Okay, so it's not necessarily water bead; it, it coats the plant. Better. It coats the plant. I mean, the whole deal is you're trying to spread that herbicide on the leaf surface of that plant, mm-hmm. and you're trying to penetrate. That plant tissue. So basically, that's what those products surfactants have. Yeah, and, and you know, the, everybody's always said you can use uh, dishwashing detergent as a surfactant. Oh, that's what no. I was wondering. No. <laughs> I told I was told years ago that it it it, it uh, I don't remember who told me this, but it's got it's got uh, some some products that actually can tie up herbicides. Gotcha. Sure, gotcha. like a, you know, there's a lot of phosphates and soaps right. and things. It it makes a lot of sense. A surfactant. Makes can get, yeah. get sudsy, and it they share a lot of the same chemistry, but right. there's a lot of additives and soap yeah. that can antagonize the herbicide uptake. Great, that's, that's right. what I was trying to get at. There's a lot of different things. So, yeah, don't cut corners and put soap. Go yeah. buy a cheap jug of surfactant. And is that crop oil? Is that the same thing? I think it, it's crop. It, yeah, I mean, they're, they're both used for the same thing. Crop Certain chemistries require the addition of a crop oil, uh, you know, not a non, non-ionic surfactant. So it's just looking at that label. Uh, both of them are basically used to more efficient delivery of, of the herbicide to make sure it works. But they both have different, can have different functions. All right, one more. All right. How important is cleaning your tank? Extremely important. Okay, um, give you some uh, real-world examples. Uh, there's a product that came out a few years ago, and we used it in rice a lot, and a uh, uh, good product. And a friend of mine, he um, uh, cleaned his tank out, and uh, but 
that 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 product that he put on that rice field came out twenty loads later mm. on some soybeans. Now they made it through it, but uh, my point is uh, knowing the chemistry that you're putting out and how it can affect the next crop that you're going to. You know, you still need proper clean out. We've got a tank cleaner and got a process of cleaning that out, but it, it can cause you some problems in in other applications behind that. I know it's caused us some problems, so that's why I wanted to talk about it specifically. Yeah. So sure. is, yeah. there, is there a best way to do it? Is, is it just running water through it, or is it, do you need to we, add? We've got some tank cleaners, and it's got a volume mixture on it, and and so you, you put this tank cleaner in a certain amount of, of water, and I always like personally, and I've sprayed a lot over the years, is I like to put tank cleaner in there and let it soak for a while. Mm-hmm. And I may do that three times just to make sure that I've purged the system, the hoses, the uh, if I'm using a spray gun, making sure that I've washed that completely out. And go ahead and pump that stuff through your hoses. I want, I want it to flow through the, 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 entire del- system. the delivery system, and I also want to clean, the, if it's got a filter system on it, don't just, you know, take that filter out and take all, a lot of times you'll see a bunch of residue in there. Mm-hmm. And that can cause you some some problems. Nothing like going out there and having a great crop and uh, spraying it and unfortunately killing it all. I'm going to tell you, I can speak from experience. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. What happened? What, what's this uh, Just on, you know, uh, actually here at, uh, just south of town, um, uh course you know chasing ducks and waterfowl so it was a millet uh and we thought we had the tank cleaned out really well came over the top of it uh to treat some broad leaves and apparently there was some residual um glyphosate or something in there and so our pretty millet crop we didn't have to worry about the army worms getting it put it that way <laughs> mm. yeah i killed my front yard one time yeah. back when i sprayed stuff in my yard i don't i don't do that anymore right. i just mow it but so do you uh, clean out that tank every time you use it? Not let me let me just ask it this way: it, it is it more about? So if you know you're going to spray glyphosate and you're going to spray glyphosate a month later, but do you clean it out so that that residue doesn't get in there? If you're going back to glyphosate a month later, and you knowing that's what you're going to do, uh, no, I mean I, again, it's it's knowing where you're going with that spray system and. And, you know, if, if that residue in there is going to affect. So just, just knowing your chemistry. So maybe you have a, a specific, you know, glyphosate tank or, mm-hmm. you know, and then one that's specific for other Well, like around home, and this is just, you know, what I do, you know, I've got, I, I spray some insecticides around the house and I spray Roundup. I've got those little small cheap sprayers and I've got Roundup and insecticide. I don't, I don't even try to use, you know, clean them out and use one. Yeah, just reuse it on the It's got them ded- dedicated. Yeah. 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 So that insecticides, that's interesting. The, yeah. the one that we, you kind of taught us about was Intrepid, I think was the name of it, when we were battling these army worms. Right. Troubadour is, is, is Helen's product. And it's labeled for over 300, uh, uh, 300 crops. Very safe product. Um, and it does have army worms on the label. Again, um, there's certain uh, certain... Crops on there that I wish that were on there that that are not, but but it does have a fit in this business for for controlling army worms. Troubadour, yes. Troubadour, yeah. yeah. And you know it's, it's got a, a broad label. It, if people have uh, fruit and vegetables, uh, you know it can be used other places too. Yeah, mm. good product. Who gets to write all the cool chemical names? 
A lot of times they'll they'll send a deal out, yeah. you know, and they'll say, send us in what you think would be a good name for yeah. this product. And I think maybe I want to say they give you a gift certificate if they pick your name. And, <laughs> Must have been a George Strait fan on the True Bill. True Bill. Yeah. I've never even participated in it. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not that good at that. Well, wow. Lanny would be good at naming stuff like that. Yeah, I, yeah. Could, I could see that. Happy spray. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Dudley. Yeah. That's my. Well, yeah. Well, guys, have we got any more questions? Oh, man, we can talk days and obviously to Keith. This this is a, you know, um, it's just a lot of ground to cover here. But I like what well, we kind of boiled it down, you know, from a gamekeeper perspective, you know, what you can really, the, the things you really need to get you going out there in the field. I can tell you, speak from experience, you know, it's, uh, you know, doing it properly. Uh, you can have amazing success with these things, you know, and actually uh, make your farming practices easier. Um, you know, I was so I would encourage people to uh, get out there and, and first of all, to Keith's point, you know, identify what your target species is and the chemistry of it. And, you know, get out there and follow the label and do it right. I can also speak about not following the label. It doesn't turn out so good sometimes. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, and, and I don't, like, don't tell the label police. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd like to pitch in that, you know, we've been talking about prepping your food plots <clears throat> and keeping them weed free. Uh, we've also been talking about how important it is to read the label. One thing I'd like to add to the discussion is, uh, you know, survey some of the air, you know, survey the areas on your property before you just decide to go spray it. Uh, you may have a natural opening on your land mm -hmm. that it could be some kind of rare uh, prairie grassland or something that's uh, just naturally occurring. Uh, and it would be a shame to go in and spray that right. area. Um, I, I had a customer describe a site to me one time uh, as a, a bald and uh, that's a that's a term used as a, a natural opening in, in a mountainous region and it may have some really rare plants right, on it right um, and so it's important to to know what you're spraying before you before you decide to spray so good advice yep. Bobby and Mac are over there yeah, doing something. I, I can't read something. <laughs> Mac's lips. I cannot read them. <laughs> Can I add to that? Yeah. Uh, I've got a relative that used to uh, farm, and he a uh, very successful cotton farmer. And something I always remember that he told me was that uh, he said, if you'll get out in that cotton field every day, he said he'll tell you what he needs. Mm. And and I'm telling you, he would do some just strange things, I, I thought, at the time. But he had one of the highest cotton yields uh, in, in the parish where I'm from. And I don't say that because he's my relative. He just he just he understood his crop and, and how it lends itself to what we're talking about. Whether you own the property or you own the uh, club, whatever it is, if you'll spend time out there in that field and be an observer and doing the research and seeing how you can improve that that property, whether it be uh, uh, food plots or whether it be natural vegetation, uh, whether it be around the camp, mm -hmm. you know. I, there's I've got a bunch of products here I could talk about. I know we don't have the time, but there is a great opportunity for an individual to really do some improvements to his property. They're user-friendly products. Uh, 
and and I just encourage anybody listening uh, to jump in it. Yeah, and and I get great great amount of satisfaction to applying some of these products and then going behind it and seeing what can be done with it. So mm-hmm. it's there for it's there for uh, people listening. And the resources are out there, whether it be a Helena rep, whether it be some kind of publication. And, and these products have been researched and researched and researched. Uh, uh, they're safe. They've got labels to go with them to tell them how to use, how, how to use them. Uh, man, I just encourage them to do that. It's a fun thing. Sure. It really is. Yeah, and it, it is fun to see the results. No yeah. doubt. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, I've heard of, uh, had a number of people explain what you kind of what you what you started down the road where they say let the land speak to you and it'll you know uh, maybe this area needs this or this area needs that and you just kind of let the let the land tell you what it what it would be what it could be what it needs i'm a firm believer in that watching my uncle and me spending time on our home property and having uh, you know having a knowledge of what i could do whether it be fertilizer or in the case the pond that we have up there uh, you, you know, it takes time to do it, but uh, man, you can you can really really improve uh, the property, mm-hmm. and you can be a good gamekeeper, a good steward of your land. I mean, you name it. It's uh, I like the idea of being one with nature and trying to under, and understanding, letting yeah. it, letting it speak to you. Sharing that time in the field too, you can get ahead of things. You know, if you show up too late, you know your weeds are too far, and it becomes a hot lot harder to control. So, yeah, sure. a lot of wisdom in that that statement too. So Keith, we appreciate you being here. We're gonna. Well, we want you to stay. We've got. Uh, we got uh, Sam's lunch. in the back cooking up bison ribeye sandwiches. Oh my, oh my god! Come on with it. Yeah. yeah, I hope Vandy is wearing a uh, head net, a beard net, and a beard net and too. We need a beard net. Yeah. Can't stand a beard hair in your ribeye steak <laughs> <No>. sandwich, can you? <laughs> but if you, we want you to stay with us. We're gonna get Dudley's gonna answer answer a listener's question here. And then uh, afterwards, we'll have lunch, Keith. So thank yeah. you for being here. We enjoyed talking to you. Yeah, that was a thank, good one. Thank you good for stuff. having me. And, yeah. but no doubt, the, the some of the most common questions we get are all about this. So yeah. it's great to have you here. Yeah. That's good. All right, Mac, have you got a question for Dudley? I do. This one's uh, this is a good one. I think it's uh, it's pretty crazy. When we saw this thing come in, I, I couldn't believe it, honestly. So, uh, and I, I don't think wait. I don't think everybody knows it yet. So this will be a good one. So, hey, Dudley, my wife is typing this while she just went into labor. Wow. Wish us luck. <laughs> so, <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> hey, look, she, she must be a gamekeeper. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so that was a, quite a preface. Uh, I just received some Chickasaw and Mexican plum seedlings. I have a question about fertilization. Is there any danger in applying fertilizer soon after planting? Thanks, Keith Cutler. Well, mm-hmm. Keith, I'll start out by saying uh, if I was a gambling man – I would bet that that's not your first baby. <laughs> so, uh, but other than that, um, I get this question a lot. I, I think it's important. Um, and I'm not trying to knock other nurseries out there, but I, I think uh, one of the reasons that nurseries don't recommend fertilizing their trees in the first year is because they're scared that the customer is going to put too much fertilizer out and kill the trees, and then they're going to call and ask for a refund or a replacement. Um, And so that's just their blanket answer. Uh, They're just scared you're going to burn up your trees when they're young. 
Um, my answer to that is, uh, again, follow the label. We were just talking about it with herbicides. Uh, read the instructions on the box and apply the proper amount of fertilizer. Um, uh, well, you're about to have a baby. Uh, would you not feed your baby for the first week of its life? I, I would. I'm, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Feed, if I want my seedling to be healthy and grow fast, uh, the first year of its life, I want it to be fed from day one, uh, and I'm just gonna apply the proper amount. So my answer to that is, call us and ask, or just follow the directions on the box and don't overdo it. And Dudley, so, I think you typically recommend a slow-release organic fertilizer, don't you? Yeah. I, I like either, uh, if I'm going to use a chemical fertilizer, I want it to be coated. Mm-hmm. Uh, Osmocote is a good one. So a little bit of it, uh, every time it gets wet, uh, it's temperature dependent. A few of them may open a week instead of all of them at once. And that's what the coating does? Is That's what the coating the does. Them. They have different thicknesses of coatings that erode away uh, in time. And it may only release, I don't know, a tenth at every. Um, they have three-month coatings. They have nine-month coatings. Another one is just a good, slow-release organic fertilizer, mm-hmm. um, which I, I always prefer because you're also feeding the soil and the organisms in the soil when you're using an organic fertilizer, and it, it works really well. So, I know it's worked well in our tree farm. So good luck, Keith, and uh Congratulations. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> Got a little gamekeeper on the way. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, that's a pretty amazing. Do we have uh, any little baby gamekeeper clothes? Well, if we don't, we should. We should get some. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, if we can come up with a gamekeeper onesie, yeah. we'll, we'll send it to you as a gift. <laughs> gamekeeper bib. That'll be awesome. <laughs> oh, that sounds good. All right, Mac, thank you so much for that. Dudley, that's a great answer. Guys, we got anything else? Any housekeeping we need to do? I think we're pretty good today. No, I think everybody's hungry. Yeah. Look around the room. Keith, we appreciate you being here. This has been a good one. Thank you for having me. Yes, sir. All right. Say goodbye, Dudley. Goodbye, Dudley. Get us out of here, Mac Mac. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Gamekeeper Podcast. And be sure to tune in again. Subscribe to Gamekeeper Farming for Wildlife magazine. And don't miss the Mossy Oak Properties Fistful of Dirt podcast with my good buddy, Ronnie Cuz Strickland.